Good morning and welcome to a Sunday morning, uh, November, excuse me, December the 19th edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kirk Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and our regular Saturday evening, now Sunday morning guest, Mr. Lucas Doremus. Uh, we are delighted to have Lucas with us again this morning. Uh, Pastor Dick yesterday did a Christmas-themed uh, segment, and I believe Lucas has got something very similar planned, if not exactly the same thing. It'll be something similar, Christmas-themed, since that's going to be coming up next weekend. So uh, for all of our listeners, be prepared to, to get some great, great information on what Christmas is actually all about. Uh, Lucas, glad to see you this morning. Uh, what have you got to tell us this morning about Christmas? Well, there's a lot of Christmas songs, aren't there? Um, I we were we were visiting some relatives last weekend, and they had a secular radio station on, and it was amazing to me that uh, there there was nothing, almost no none of the songs had to do with what Christmas is actually about, which is Jesus being born. Yeah. And if those songs did appear, they were instrumental versions. <laughs> so yeah. you didn't hear any of the words. Um, I love Christmas music. I was actually a band director for six years and still like Christmas music. So that's kind of a miracle in itself, I think. <laughs> if there's any band directors out there that still like Christmas music, good on you. I know I knew quite a few band directors that didn't care for Christmas music because they had to play it every single year. And I, and I understand. But uh, one of my favorite Christmas hymns is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it was written very long ago in Latin. Yeah. And about the 1800s, a guy translated it. Um, but then there, there are many actual versions of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Because, uh, you know, when you're translating one language into another, uh, not everybody picks the same words. So um, I, I picked a version um, that I'm familiar with. You know, if some of the words are a little bit different in the version you sing, that's totally fine. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a little tough uh, because this was made, you know, in Latin by probably Catholic priests. And so we're, you know, translating that into modern English. Um, so, so that, you know, can sometimes, can sometimes be difficult. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go through each verse and we're going to talk about what the verses are actually talking about. So the next time you sing this song, you'll know, oh, I know what that means. Um, and there is a psalm, I, I've been doing a study on the word sing in the book of Psalms, Ooh. and uh, there, there, there may be a podcast on that someday, I don't know, but one of the psalms, I can't remember which one, but it says, sing praises to the Lord with understanding. Yes. And so you should, we should know what we're singing about. Yeah. So anyway, I, I think what we're going to do, uh, we'll just read one verse at a time, and I'll pick the major themes out. Uh, maybe not in every single word, but we'll, we'll go through those. So this should be fun. So the first verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. So first thing we're going to do is Emmanuel. What does that even mean? Or who is Emmanuel? So turn to Isaiah chapter 7. <laughs> Why did we, we know that? We were there yesterday. <laughs> yeah, 
And so, and so we probably won't, we'll, we'll not spend a whole lot of time on this then, but in Isaiah 7, chapter, or chapter 7, verse 14, which is what you read, I'm sure, yes. it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Now, isn't it nice when the Bible tells us exactly when prophecy is fulfilled? Um, sometimes the Bible doesn't tell us that. We have to make some inferences here and there. But in this case, in Matthew chapter 1, verse um, 22, it says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, well, before we get to the next verse, Pastor Dick, you know, notice it says it was spoken by the Lord. The Lord was speaking through the prophet. So it was the Lord speaking. He just used the vocal cords of the prophet. In this case, it was Isaiah. Just, you know, a little, little tidbit there, right, Pastor Dick? That's it. <laughs> All right. And That's then uh, verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall be, uh, shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, if you were reading Along in your Bible, you might have noticed that in the Old Testament, Emmanuel is spelled with an E, and in the New Testament, Emmanuel is spelled with an I. Uh, I. I made sure I looked this up. They mean the same thing. The difference is the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Old Testament was written in Ooh. Hebrew. And so in the New Testament, that word Emmanuel has an I in it, and in the Old Testament, that word Emmanuel has an E in it if you translated the syllables into English. So they are the same thing. It's yeah. just what language, uh, for some reason, we translate them a little differently with the spelling. And so God with us. So, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we want the God to come with us and be here. <laughs> and so that's that first line of the song. And then the next part, uh, ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Well, what's that talking about? We'll turn to Luke chapter 1. Now, Luke is the gospel writer that gives us, oh, I'd say probably the most complete picture of Jesus' birth. Um, there are details that St. Matthew has that Luke doesn't include, but, but Luke's is the longest. And I think that's because Lucas, Lucas <laughs> that's my name, I think that's because Luke was more was focused on Jesus being a man more than Jesus being the king and the Messiah as Matthew was. And so he exactly. probably includes more details. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's right. But uh, in Luke chapter one, uh, about uh, verse 57, uh, John the Baptist is born to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Now, if we remember the story, um, Zacharias, he didn't believe the angel. Uh, when he told him that his wife was going to have a son, which he should have because it was a very similar circumstance to Abraham. And yeah. so there should have been no problem for him to believe that. And so he was not allowed to speak for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and but now the difference is Mary had trouble believing the angel, too. Yeah. But Mary wasn't put under that judgment. Well, what's the difference? Well, Mary was, had never been with a man to have conceived. And she wasn't doubting the fact that it could happen. She was doubting how it could. She Well, maybe not even doubting. She was just curious. I know how babies are born. 
how is this going to happen, Angel? Not that it couldn't happen, but this doesn't make any sense. And so the angel told him that you're going to have the son of God placed in your womb. And that's a whole, maybe we'll get into that a little bit next week. I haven't quite decided what we're going to do next week. Got about two or three ideas. So we'll see. We'll, maybe we'll get a little bit more into that. But anyway, John the Baptist is born. And the, the people there are trying to decide what his name is going to be. And Zacharias writes on a tablet that his name is going to be John. And they were a little confused at that because no one in your family's name is John. And but then um, he, immediately he was able to speak. And this is something he said in verse 67. It starts now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now that word redeemed means ransomed. That's right. So that's why we reference it here and ransom captive Israel, because God is going to ransom them. He's going to buy them back. Verse 69, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Well, why is that there? Because Jesus is going to be born in the line of David. In fact, we'll talk more about that as we go. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet. Oh, see, there it is again, Pastor Dick. God spoke and he used the vocal cords of prophets. Hmm. Who have been since the world began? Wait a minute, does that mean Adam was a prophet? There were prophetesses, maybe Eve was a prophetess. Just an interesting thing to wonder, huh? Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> yeah. question. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Have to, I'll have to run down to my alliteration room and study for about 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Thanks for doing that to me. Well, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> thanks for doing that for me. Well, <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Okay. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies. Well, why is Zacharias saying that they need to be saved from their enemies, which is the same thing the, the hymn here alludes to? Well, because Israel, for a long time, it had been under the bondage of Gentile nations. Right. You know, it was Babylon and and then it was Medo-Persia, then it was the Greeks. Now in, in this current, what we're reading right now, it's the Romans. Yeah. And so Israel has been under Gentile rule, so they want to be saved from that. That's right. So when this says ransom captive Israel, it's talking about ransoming uh, Israel away from their enemies, being a self-sufficient nation. Now there's another ransom that's going to go on. <laughs> But one way that it's talking about is they're literally the nation of Israel needs to be saved from their enemies or ransom bought back. And verse 71, and from the hand of all who hate us, verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So God is coming here to earth to save his people Israel so he can uh, make good on the covenant he made all the way back to Abraham in Genesis. So that is one very, so we tend to think about Jesus coming to save us from our sins because he died on the cross and he absolutely did that. 
But one of the other reasons he came is to fulfill the covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, interestingly, that hasn't happened yet because Israel is still under captivity of Gentile nations right now. It is. Well, why, why are they still under captivity? Well, because they rejected their Messiah. If they wouldn't have rejected Jesus and consequently crucified him, the kingdom would have started and they would have been saved. But unfortunately, the leaders of the nation of Israel, Jesus' first coming, didn't want anything to do with what Jesus had to offer. They wanted his political things. They wanted to get under the, out from under the shackles of Rome. They didn't want anything to do with his morality and what you need to do to be saved eternally, which is believe in him. See, they didn't want anything to do with that. They just wanted to have their own nation. And when Jesus comes back the second time, Israel will cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus will save them not only from hell, but he will save them from the Gentile nations. Right. So the second time is will happen. So that loans and lonely exile here and part of the hymn here, because after they rejected their Messiah, about, you know, 40 years later or so in AD 70, uh, the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem. And since then, Israel has been dispersed among the nations. Right. Now, we had a very neat event happen in 1948 where Israel became a nation again. Yeah. But Jews are not all in that nation yet. Can I, and, can I just give you a little statistic? I had an yeah. article that I read in 1978, I think it was, that declared that there were more Jews in Brooklyn than there were in Jerusalem at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so even though Israel is a nation, uh, they're still dispersed. Yeah. Um, and as we get closer to the end times, I think we're going to see more and more Jews go to Israel until they, until they really are regathered there when Jesus comes back. Yeah. Because there's still when, you know, when Jesus and the uh, Olivet Discourse talks about one man's walking up the hill and one will leave and one man's doing this. Well, that's the regathering. It will be a supernatural regathering. And I think and I think we're just going to keep seeing a trickle of that as we get even closer. So that's that first, um, that first verse, until the Son of God appear, Israel's in captivity, and when he does appear the second time, they won't be in ca captivity anymore, because yep. Jesus will win, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I love that. Okay, verse 2, <laughs> verse 2 of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O come thou day spring from on high, and cause thy light on us to rise. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. Now, this day spring, what in the world is this day spring talking about? Well, let's keep reading in Luke. In verse uh, 76, it says, And you, child, uh, this is talking about John the Baptist. Oh, did you have something to say, Pastor? Uh, no. Oh. Did you ask me a question? No, I didn't. It looked like you had your hand, your finger up, like you had oh, something no, to say. No, but... I, I, he always has that I, look. I, I do that to <laughs> myself, okay? <laughs> so in verse 76 of Luke, it says, And you, child, will be the prophet of the highest. This is talking about John the Baptist. Yeah. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, 
by the remission or forgiveness of sins. And John the Baptist absolutely did that. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Well, day spring, well, that's kind of a weird word. Um, but what it means, it means sunrise. So day spring, if you think about it, day spring is a poetic way of saying sunrise. The day is now springing. Now, where is that coming from? Turn to Zechariah, or excuse me, we'll get there in a second. Turn to Jeremiah 23. Oh, now, now, I know you, uh, Pastor Dick, I would say you, you like this chapter a lot, but it's not a very, uh, we'll say, encouraging chapter. So yeah. maybe I'll just say you reference it a lot. Yeah, yeah the, first, the, first, the first word in Jer Jeremiah 23 is woe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. So this is, this is a woe to the shepherds, this chapter and the false prophets and things that Jeremiah is saying. Uh, but even in the midst of this, um, verse 3, it says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. Boy, that sounds a lot like what we were just talking about, about God regathering Israel. Yep. Verse 4, I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. And then verse 5, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. Well, that word branch, where it says that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation that happened, oh, 100, 200 years before Jesus was born, they translated it with the Greek word sunrise, which again is that word dayspring. So who is the dayspring? Well, it's Jesus Christ. And he was prophesied long before uh, he came. Turn to Zechariah chapter 6. Zechariah, if you're not sure where that is, go to Matthew. Take a left, Malachi, Zechariah. <laughs> So in Malachi chapter 6, um, it says in verse 12, it says, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is Branch. Well, again, in the Septuagint, the Greek word they use to translate that word branch is the word sunrise. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Oh, does that mean Jesus is going to build a temple? I think it does. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and he shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. So Jesus will be not only the king, he will also be the priest. And he's the sunrise or the day spring um, that's going to come from on high. Now, back to the hymn, it's after that line, oh, come thou day spring from on high. It says, and cause thy light on us to rise. Now, the word light and the contrast darkness is a very cool concept in the Bible. Um, if you want a study 
um, that will enlighten you. <laughs> Study light and dark in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, see what I did there, Pastor Dick? That was Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I would encourage you to do a word study on the word light and do a word study on the word dark. Um, and it is a very good study that will really That'd teach be a you a great lot. study. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. I've, I've done that before, and it's a very good study. But uh, turn to John, John chapter one. John chapter one, it's a beautiful chapter. Um, it starts out by John describing Jesus coming as the word. Um, so it's a very, a lot of people know this. Um, but in, in the book of John chapter one, verse four, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So you could say that one of the names of Jesus is light. In verse five, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And so Jesus is the light. What light, what darkness is he shining? Well, the darkness of the world. Uh, we wouldn't have any light if it weren't for Jesus. Um, and whatever that means, wisdom, that means salvation, that means knowledge. We wouldn't have it if Jesus didn't give it to us. That's right. In Genesis chapter one, the very first thing that God put on the earth was light. He said, mm -hmm. let there be light. And I know that the Jews think that's a reference to the Messiah. Uh-huh. So and interesting. Um, verse, uh, let's see, let, let's keep reading. Verse six, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. Verse seven, this man came for a witness to bear witness to the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light. That means John is not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So the only reason we can uh, you know, see anything is because Jesus has given us that light. Um, and I like, and I'm just, you know, I'm going to drop down to verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So how do you receive Jesus? By believing in him. And, and what a beautiful thing that is. Yes, it um, is. And so that's the light. So if you want light in your life, you're just feeling like you're walking around in darkness. I know I've had those times where you just go, what is going on? What am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, the light you're going to get that illuminates your path that's going to be Jesus. Um, how, do we, how do we know what that light is? Well, I think Psalm 119 has something to say about that, right, Indeed. Pastor? That's right. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. A lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. So how do you find out what Jesus wants to tell you? Read his word. That's it. All right. I think that takes uh, the rest of verse 2 of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is... Um, doing exactly what light does it's dispersing clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight we'll talk about more death more about death later we're going to move on to verse three. O come thou rod of jesse free thine own from satan's tyranny from depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave now the rod of jesse um jesse was king david's dad and so, you know, a number of times in the Old Testament, they reference Jesse. 
or they reference David. That just means the line of David and ultimately the Messiah. Um, and, and what I want to say is the free thine own from Satan's tyranny. Well, what is Satan's tyranny? Turn to 1 John chapter 3. Now, 1 John chapter 3, it, it really, it's, it's sort of a confusing chapter. Um, there's a lot of mishandling of this chapter. Um, and I think, honestly, it's because John was Jewish and he wrote in a very Jewish style. Um, us Gentiles have a hard time understanding that sometimes. Um, but we're going to go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Now, what it means is when you sin, you're doing what the devil did. When you're not sinning, you're doing what God does. It's a contrast. Um, and if you know the passage and some of the verses before it, all it's saying is you cannot sin and claim you're doing God's work because sin is never sourced in God. So when whoever sins, you're doing the same thing the devil did, which is sin. Uh, and then for the rest of the verse here, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So what's one reason Jesus came into the world? To destroy the works of the devil. Now, you can actually find quite a few reasons that Jesus came, but for our purpose, this is the one we're going to key on. He might destroy the works of the devil. Well, we've got a hint already that uh, the devil's works are sin. So turn to John chapter 8. Who is this devil character? How would we describe him? Uh, a lot of times he's described as the adversary. Um, there's many ways to describe the devil, but we're going to key in on two very important things that Jesus points out about who Satan is. Now, in John chapter 8, um, Jesus is having a, we'll call it a dialogue with the Pharisees. <laughs> and uh, in chap John chapter 8, verse 44, he's talking to the Pharisees, Jesus is, and he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. All right, so what's Satan? He's a murderer. He wants to kill you. He killed Adam and Eve. He wants to kill you. Yep. Um, and that's going to have a bit of a connection later. Um, Satan wants to kill you. Um, and that's kind of a hard thing for us to swallow. Um, but, you know, Satan wants to kill us. He's a murderer. Um, we'll keep reading that verse. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So what does Satan do? He murders and he lies. And so whenever you're dealing um, with anybody that you could say your father's the devil, they're trying to kill you and they're lying to you. And we have to understand that that's who Satan is. And uh, later, I think it's Ephesians that says God, Satan is the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Well, that god of this world, he wants to kill you and he wants to lie to you. That's what he's going to do. And, uh, you know, if you keep that in mind, uh, that'll help you navigate life a lot better. So Jesus is going to destroy those works of the devil. So if he's a liar and a murderer, that means he's got to destroy death and lying, doesn't it? So turn to Revelation 21. 
verse four. This is probably, gosh, this is one of my favorite verses of all of the whole Bible. Um, I talk about this verse to my kids a lot um, because I want them to understand the hope that we're waiting for. Revelation chapter 21, verse four, it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Amen. So God or Jesus is going to destroy the works of the devil. And at the end, uh, when he's going to create a new heaven and new earth, all those works of the devil, the murdering, the lying, and whatever other else you want to put with it, they're all going to go away. They're never going to happen again. You know, and I tell my kids, won't it be nice to never get sick again? Won't it yeah. be nice to never feel pain again? Yeah. You know, and so one, you know, and, and, and this I tell I tell the different people, you know, well, why, you know, why does God allow that? Or, you know, God did this to me and that was really painful and hurtful. And, you know, one perspective is whenever we're having pain or things aren't quite going right in our life, it's to make us look forward to what God has in store for us. That's right. Mm -hmm. If life was really good now, well, we wouldn't look forward to his new creation. That's right. And God wants us to. Now, that can be hard. Um, don't get me wrong. You know, depending on your place in the world, things could be really, really hard right now. And I understand that. But boy, God's got something in store for you. Um, he says in Corinthians, no eye has seen nor ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. So that's what we're to look forward to. So when Jesus is going to destroy Satan's tyranny, as the song puts it, death, murder, pain, sorrow, crying, it's all going to go away. And what a day that'll be. That's right. Uh, let's see. Now, what's the end this next part of the verse? From the depths of hell, thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Mm -hmm. oh, I love these verses. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians, uh, it's a big chapter. He's, Paul's talking a lot about the resurrection. And uh, there's some great passages in here about uh, the rapture and, and things. But what we're going to talk about is this victory over the grave. Uh, so in verse um, 22, that's where we're going to start. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So why are you dying? Why is your body decaying? Why are, excuse me, why are you getting old? Well, it's because of Adam. And you know what? Before we get too hard on Adam, we all would have done the exact same thing. That's right. So anyway, verse 23, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterwards those who, who are Christ's at his coming. Now this is talking about the rapture. Again, we, we're, we're going to skip that just because we're focusing on Christmas. Uh, verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. That's talking about what we just talked about, where he defeats Satan's tyranny. Uh, verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Well, and what that means is Jesus is going to come back and reign for a thousand years, but people are still going to die. Now, the, uh, the world's going to be a much better place because Jesus is reigning, but death is still going to be there. Uh, but when Jesus defeats Satan for the last time at the end of the millennium, 
the heavens, the new heavens and new earth are going to be created. And that's when death will be defeated, which is what we just read in Revelation. Uh, so we'll keep reading. Uh, verse 27, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject, subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Uh, these last two verses, they give us this beautiful picture of what's going on between the Godhead. Now, God is one. Uh, we are monotheists. We worship a singular God. But he also has revealed himself in three personages, the God, um, God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. And what God the Father is going to do is God the Father is going to give his son, Jesus, everything, where it says he put all things under his feet. So Jesus is going to own, or everything is going to be subject to him. But what's going to happen is at the end, when he recreates the heaven and new earth, Jesus, who's also God, will give everything back to God the Father, and that way God will be all in all as it says. It's this picture of God the Father giving his son something, and then God the Son giving his father everything back, and God being all in all. God is one. Um, it's just this great picture um, where you, it's interesting, if you do a study of thrones in the book of Revelation, you will see that Jesus is on uh, David's throne, and God the Father has a throne that he's sitting on, but when you get to Revelation 22, you'll see that there's only one throne. So in one way or another, those thrones merge. They become one, and that's exactly what this verse is talking about. God the Son gives everything to the Father, and God becomes one. Not that he isn't one right now. Boy, when I talk about this, Dick, it's hard because if you quote me out of context, sometimes it sounds like I'm saying God is not one God. And, and it's difficult because, you know what, it's beyond my comprehension. And I can't quite understand it. So when I talk about it, sometimes I don't think I'm saying it right, but then I go back and read it and I am saying it right. But God is one. But he's three. But he's one. But he's three. You know, I just, so anyway, it's, it's a hard thing to explain and talk about, I yeah. tell you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? We're, we're, we're not commanded to understand all things, but to believe all things. That's right. And you know what? If I could understand all things, I don't think God would be as holy as he is. You know what I mean? If I could understand. Uh, I, I know what you mean, but uh, if you, for, for the sake of our listeners uh, uh, who may not be as mature as you are. Uh, yeah, uh, that's ununderstandable. If I could understand everything about God, well, in one way, that would mean God's kind of at my level of understanding. That's right. And I don't want a God that's the same as me because I know <laughs> I sin all the time and I'm, you know, a rotten person. I know all that. I want a God where I can't understand everything about him because that proves how much greater he is than I am. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to jump now in 1 Corinthians to verse 55. It says, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we have a victory? Well, we believe in Jesus Christ. And he's the one who gives us the victory. And we become conquerors. We become victors. You know, Pastor Dick and Curtis, we've been talking a lot about Jesus's death. It's almost like one of the whole points of Jesus's birth and celebrating Christmas is to point to what he did on the cross. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's that that nails it. You bet. How about that? Yeah. So we had. And I didn't. No, no pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended. Okay. Uh, I wasn't making a joke, but uh, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yep. Christmas points you. They might have life, but that they might have it more abundantly. He came for for me. He came for you. Mm -hmm. Came for Curtis. Came for. Uh, it came for all the atoms in the world. <laughs> yeah. And so if Christmas should do anything, it should point you to look at Jesus's death, which is his resurrection. That's right. That's right. Okay. Verse four, no come, O come, Emmanuel. It says, O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. All right, so key of David, again, that's another name for Jesus. Um, but this open wide, the, our heavenly home, and make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Um, we've talked about Jesus's death and resurrection a lot. And so go to uh, Colossians chapter 2. Um, and really, this is just another poetic way of talking about Jesus dying and raising from the dead, which saved us from our sin. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, uh, what that's talking about is you and your flesh have no way to save yourself. That's right. You, you can't do it. There's not enough works you can do to get to heaven. Uh, there's nothing you can do. So you're dead and your trespasses and uncircumcision. Your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Now, that word wiped out in Greek, I love saying this because that word wiped out means obliterate. Obliterated, yeah. It means completely destroy. Annihilated. So that, that right that's nothing is left um curtis for a couple of weeks you kept you, you were we were kind of making jokes about a scud missile <laughs> yeah. and if you have that picture in your head of just a, an explosion where nothing's left that is the picture this word should give you and it says so having obliterated the handwriting of requirements now that word requirements means laws because if there's no law, we can't break the law, which means we can't sin. But there is a law because God's the creator and he set one. And because of Romans 1 and a couple other places, you're aware of it. Everybody is. There's no excuse. But Jesus wiped out that law, those requirements that were against us, which was contrary to us. Now, why are those laws which God created against contrary to us or against us? Well, because the law is what causes us to sin, which causes us to no longer be uh, acceptable to a holy God. 
And so Jesus wiped all that out. And then he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. <laughs> what a beautiful picture that that law, that long list of requirements that we have to live up to, that we can't live up to. If you can picture Jesus on the cross, that law, that piece of paper, scroll, book, whatever tome, whatever you want to call it, it is up there with him. And that's what Jesus, when he died, he took it and he wiped it out of the way. Well, how does that apply to us? Well, the only way we get that application of Jesus removing um, that law is by believing in him. So uh, we are all sinners and we have this law that we've sinned against. We've broken the law and there's nothing we can do uh, to pay for that or to get rid of that sin. But Jesus did because he died for us. He died so that he wiped out that law from us. The only way we apply that is by believing it. So we can't work to do the law. We can't do penance. Uh, we can't do enough, you know, Hail Marys or anything like that. The only thing we can do is believe. Amen. And that's when it gets taken out of the way, nailed to the cross. <laughs> right. Uh, and I love it. And when that happens, as this hymn says, uh, that made safe the way that leads on high and closed the path to misery, which would be an eternal existence away from God and hell. Um, when, I, when we try to talk about hell to my kids, we, I say, you know, there's a lot of things about hell that are punishing, but the worst part about it is God's not there. Yeah. You know, there are other things the Bible describes hell as being punishing and tormenting, but, you know, the worst thing is God's not there. And so I encourage you, if you're listening to this, believe in Jesus and you will go to heaven and you will avoid that. And not only will you go to heaven at the end of your life, but he enables you to live a better life um, until that point by, believe, by trusting in him in your life. And boy, that fruit's worth it. <laughs> that's, a, that's right. All righty. Now, stanza five, we're going to move on. We got just a little bit more. Stanza five, it says, of, of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it says, O come, thou king of nations, bring an end to all our suffering. Bid every pain and sorrow cease and reign now as the prince of peace. Turn to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a great psalm, um, and we could spend a long time on Psalm 2, actually. We're going to go through it relatively fast. But Psalm 2 is a, a, what's called a messianic psalm, which means it's about Jesus or about the Messiah. Um, it doesn't say it explicitly, but my guess it was written by David, just because he wrote most of the psalms, and this sounds like something David would write, but I don't know that. For sure, but in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and their anointed, saying, we'll get there in a second. Then now the nations and the people, what that means is the Gentiles. And notice it says, The kings of the earth and the rulers. 
take counsel together and it says against the Lord and his anointed, which means the Messiah. What this is talking about is the rulers of the earth. So that's your your presidents, uh, your dictators, uh, your kings. Globalist elites. Yeah, whatever whatever title they're called by, uh, they are against the Lord. Now, what that means is the governments of the world are not, uh, say, Christian institutions. Um, They are not necessarily looking out for our best interests, although sometimes that happens. Uh, They are against the Lord. What are they doing? Verse 3, it says, let us break their bonds in peace in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So what are the rulers of the world doing? They are trying in their best way they can to not do what God says. And so when we listen to, say, the news and we see events happen or we see, you know, politicians and this and that saying things, Psalm chapter 2 is telling us the governments, as an institution, their goal is to not do what God wants. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't politicians and people in government that aren't Christians and that aren't trying to do the right thing. Absolutely, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying at all. As an institution of government, their goal is not to do the best thing for the people. Their goal is to not do what God wants them to do. So if you have that understanding, when you read the news and you see what's going on, just remember this in Psalm 2. And that will have help you navigate what to do about what's going on in the world. And so Jesus is the king of nations. So now we get to find out what God does about it, which is pretty exciting. Verse four, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Now that phrase, hold them in derision, literally means mock. He is mocking these kings of the earth. Verse five. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress distress them with his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So why is God laughing and mocking at him? Because he has a king already in Zion, Jerusalem, that is stronger than all of them. That's right. So we look at this and we have to live through it what's going on in the world. And we know biblically it's going to get worse and worse. Um, I've listened to most of what JB talked about on Tuesday. So it's not necessarily fun for us to live with, but God already knows the end of the story. God already has a king that's stronger than all these nations. So he's laughing and mocking them because they're trying to fight against him and (laughs) they're not going to be able to do it. They can't. God is going to win. Hooray. Right. Verse seven. Let's keep reading and see what happens. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So that's talking about the Messiah, who's Jesus. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So that's what the king who's in Zion is going to do. Now, just because it hasn't happened right now to God, it already has happened. Because God doesn't live in time like we do. It's already happened to him. This is already a done deal, which is why if you notice, he's speaking about some of it in the past tense and some of the future tense. 
it kind of depends if you're talking about from God's perspective or from our perspective. Now, what should we do with all this information? Verse 10. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. So now he's talking directly to these rulers of the world. Be instructed, you judges of earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Well, why has God these kings of the earth, these rulers, why is God telling them to be wise and serve the Lord? Because you're not going to win. So if ever this podcast would hit the ear of any ruler or judge of the earth, you're not going to win. And I know I'm, I'm a Joe Schmo nobody in Illinois, but I'm telling you, you're not going to win. So you should stop fighting against God, believe in him, and start doing what he wants you to do. Amen. Well said. Uh, verse 12, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in the Lord. When it says put their trust, it could be said take their refuge in. And so God, since God's already won, we should stop fighting against him. Um, and so with that said, um, you know, I, I don't think it's very likely that a ruler of the earth would ever listen to this podcast. Uh, but for us, um, we should pray for them. Because you know oh, what? Absolutely. They need to believe in Jesus just like we do. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. And so pray for your leaders wherever you are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well said. And if you don't know what to pray, ask God. <laughs> because I do that a lot. I look at some of our politicians and go, God, I don't know how to pray for them. Um, but I do. Maybe all I can pray is God put people in their life that are going to give them the gospel. You know, maybe that's the best prayer I can do. I don't know. Yeah, man, I think you put your, you, you nailed it really good again. Because when you say, I don't know exactly how to pray for them. God says, you are already. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. 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 And now, oh, good. Oh, one more, one more, one more verse. And then we get to, I don't know, maybe, maybe the, the, the conclusion, the climax, maybe. Uh, now let's see. Uh, in the end of verse five, it says, and reign now as our Prince of Peace. Turn to Isaiah chapter nine. And if you've had your Bible open and been flipping around, we've gone to a lot of different scriptures today, which is really fun, I think. Say the book again, Isaiah chapter, Chap Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. Did you Thank talk you. about this one yesterday, too? Yeah, I believe we did briefly. briefly. I bet. I bet. And I will be listening to that probably by the end of the day. Okay. So, so Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government, notice it's the government, one government, will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So it's an interesting uh, thing to think about, that in order to be the Prince of Peace, um, that means God has to rule with a rod of iron, and God has to conquer his enemies. Um, so just because you're being peaceful doesn't mean you don't have to fight or defend yourself. That's correct. It's, it's sort of an interesting thing because, I don't know, I guess I, I'm a lot younger than you guys, no offense, 
Um, but <laughs> but I'm younger than you guys, and we're gonna you kick know, your butt the next time you're over here. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Well, I'm not getting your Christmas present anytime soon. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you know the way the way I was kind of taught peace in public school was that if you're peaceful, that means you're not resisting anything, you're not fighting anything, you're just kind of I don't know sitting and not making anybody mad. Well, that's not necessarily what peace is. No. Um, and so Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That doesn't mean he's not going to rule with a rod of iron. That's correct. Peace through strength. Yes. Mm -hmm. So then turn, turn to John chapter 14. So if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, well, gosh, does he share that peace with any of us? Or does he just get it all for himself? <laughs> John chapter 14. And this is verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Now, I, I read this, and again, what we just talked about, um, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that doesn't mean he's not ruling with a rod of iron. Um, Jesus is, you know, he's about to be crucified, and he's saying, peace I leave with you. Um, the disciples are going to go through some pretty terrible things. Yeah. Um, you know, all but one of them are going to be executed. And actually, the one that didn't get executed, they tried, yeah. <laughs> and they couldn't yeah. get the darn guy to die. Um, and so the peace here is not necessarily your life never having conflict or bad things never happening. Um, it's a peace that God gives you, an inner peace, that you can handle all of those troubles. Um, I like to say it like this, you know, the peace of God, it doesn't keep us from trouble. It gives us peace through the trouble. Amen. Um, and so we'll finish the verse here. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Now that would be like what I just said about me being taught peace is not resisting anything and just kind of mm. not making anybody mad. That's the peace the world tries to push on us. And that's not what Jesus's peace is. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why should we not be troubled or be afraid? Well, because it's a, because of everything we just talked about. Jesus died for us. He's already got the victory. And, and anything else we've talked about, that's why we're not to be troubled or be afraid. Huh. Oh, and that can be hard sometimes, can't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. All right. All right. Now, in, uh, we got a little bit of time left, and that's good because I wanted to get to this. Now, if you're familiar with the hymn, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I've been leaving out something. There's this little refrain that happens after every verse. Um, and depending on the version you're singing, sometimes the refrain is different every time, but we're just going to do the, the common one. Uh, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Yeah. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter four. Now, a lot of the book of Philippians is about joy. That's if it's not the main theme, it's one of the biggest themes in the book of Philippians. And in chapter four, verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I like whenever it's repeated like that, I heard a guy say that's like the Holy Spirit putting an exclamation mark on that verse. Yeah, <laughs> I said agree. twice. 
Um, verse five, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. Yeah. Sometimes I like to read, sometimes when you combine it, nothing, you lose the meaning of the word, which means no thing. Be anxious for no thing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So don't be anxious for anything. Just pray for it. Yeah. And then verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That is the peace that we want to have joy in and that Jesus offers. So if you are listening out there and you've never trusted in Christ and you want joy and you want peace in your life, Jesus is the answer. Believe in him that he died for your sins and rose from the grave, and you can start having that peace through him. Not only eternally, but in your life right now. That's right. <laughs> yes. And if you've already believed in Jesus Christ, but you're not having this peace and joy, trust in Jesus and he will guard your heart. Yeah. He will guard it and give you those things, give you that peace. Amen. And so now if you uh, sing this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I hope when you sing these words, with these words, you have a little bit better understanding of what we're talking about. And uh, I tell you, I learned from doing this study. So when I sing this song, I'm going to have a better understanding now. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't teach this like I already know it all. I certainly don't. <laughs> Who does? <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. So I'm done next week. I haven't quite decided what we're going to do. Again, I have about two or three ideas and, and we'll see what happens. Sur okay. Surprises, brother. Yeah, yeah you bet. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again for being with us, Lucas. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, you're a valued member of our team and, and, uh, and we're teammates with the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, it's going to work out. So mm -hmm. thank you for, yeah. so much for this, uh, for this today. Appreciate yeah. it. And, and, and Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope Merry you yes, enjoy Merry the Christmas season. to all of our mm -hmm. listeners. All right. Amen. And with that, this is the Christian Underground News Network. Signing off until Tuesday morning, hopefully, with Dr. J.B. Hickson. Yes. All right. Have a wonderful weekend. May the Lord bless and keep you. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.